Welcome into the Living Room Disciple Podcast, the podcast where we ask the question, how are the things in our lives forming us to be more or less like Jesus? So today we're talking about megachurches. How are we formed by the way we do church and by our goal to grow our churches as large as possible? Is this what Jesus intended? We are so glad you're here with us on the Living Room Disciple Podcast, where discipleship finds a home. Fun fact, Nick, you ready for this? I'm ready. So for the first almost decade of my time following Jesus, I went to a mega church. That that's a fact. I don't know how fun that is. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> Tell me about that experience. No, it, yeah. In in a lot of ways, it was it was really beautiful. Yeah. Um. So you know, it was a church in our area that uh, I think like. 10 to 12,000 kind of fluctuated, um, classic three services, sprawling campus, campus, you know, multiple buildings, all the things. And it's really interesting because I feel like in a lot of ways, there's a lot of beauty and just, just real love, um, that was like really trying to grow in that community. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that kind of marks that church that I think is pretty typical of mega churches, I want your opinion, um, was what a lot of people would kind of call seeker friendly. Um, right. Did a lot to create an environment that, no matter what a person's background was, that they could come and they could feel welcomed. And interestingly enough, I I really do attribute my, you know, depending on your, your background, salvation experience or, or whatever you want to call it, um, to the fact that at this particular church, that particular pastor, he was, his, his philosophy for preaching, which I would end up hearing in their ministerial school years later, was you preach the gospel every week. Every week you don't miss an opportunity to talk about um, Christ's work on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection. Um and and that in the invitation, right? So every week was the yeah. you know raise your hand, come to the altar, like every week. And what's interesting is I didn't ever really walk down and and go to the altar, but you know for me, I heard those teachings over and over and over again for years. And then when I was a few hundred miles away, one really dark night, I'll tell the story another time. I remembered those teachings, and I ended up committing the rest of my life to Christ. So in a lot of ways, I just have a lot of beautiful memories and just some amazing wonder for the Lord's work in the yeah. mega church. And now I pastor a home church. So yeah. That was a twist. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I think, um, I think we can both see the beauty in what God is doing while also, mm-hmm. um, noting that, the mega church movement looks pretty different from the description of the church in the new Testament. Mm. Um, but I think we can, you know, hold things with open hands and be willing to ask the question, what is God doing? Um, what is the good in this and what is the bad in this? Um, and so that's what we're talking about tonight, right? How, Mm -hmm. how are we formed by this? And whether we're talking about mega churches or just your standard church on the corner of, of Main and First Street, right? Um, 
how are we formed by this idea that the goal of the church is to grow as large as possible? Yes. Right? Um, I, I've been thinking a lot as we've been thinking or leading up to this conversation, how do the unquestioned assumptions that we have form us? How are we formed by the mm-hmm. things that we just assume this is obviously mm-hmm, correct? Mm-hmm, obviously, mm-hmm. we want as big of a church as possible because that means the gospel yeah. is exploding out into our community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an unquestioned assumption that we never stopped at to ask twice. Well, and it's, and is, it's built upon is an the assumption right that we want as many people to know Jesus as possible, right? So, Of course, so, of course. You know, 10,000 people are coming to this building on mm-hmm. the weekend. We must be doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think what's underneath that is, A, a lot of history of revivals mm-hmm. and awakenings in our country um, and in Europe as well, but also a very consumeristic, capitalistic mindset of the better I do, the more growth I have and and in a company, you might talk about profit and in unhealthy mm-hmm. churches, you might talk about profit as well. In healthy mega churches, you're talking about the growth of the gospel or more ability to spread the gospel or more ability to reach your community. Um, but where it can get twisted is, is this false belief that God is more at work in your 10,000 than he is mm-hmm. in the small church with, with 50 people or the home church, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's a really good way of framing our conversation and getting us started is we're going to talk about mega churches, but also, and you kind of indicated it, aspiring mega churches. And what I mean by that are yeah. churches that might only be 50 people, but the leadership or the congregants are envisioning a future in which there's thousands, right? And so they're making right. decisions, they're praying in that direction, they're moving in that direction. Um, a lot of the things we're going to talk about, I think, are pretty synonymous of both, you know, over both of those types of situations, right? The 50 people Mm -hmm. who want to be the 10,000 and the 10,000 who want to be the 20,000. And I kind of led with my story because there's been a lot of reflection in my life. And what we're not going to be doing is bashing the mega church. We're going to really take a moment and we're not actually even going to focus too much. I don't think on pastors and their motivations and all those things. We're really going to talk about if we're someone who attends this type of congregation what are some of the positive and not so positive ways that we might be formed? Right. Or if you're a leader in a church or somebody who volunteers mm-hmm. for a church, should you be aspiring to make that church as large as possible? Is that yeah. a, a good goal? Right. How might you be shaping the people who are attending if that's your vision? Yeah. And how are you um, being shaped with that, that goal yeah. and that vision? And and I think I think the, the, the thing that I'm most excited about is I don't have the desire to change anyone's mind. I just want to create awareness based on my past experiences, your past experiences, what we can observe. Um, But cards on the table. (laughs) I absolutely have come to be convinced personally that there is a better way of doing church in the American context. So I just want to be really clear with all of our listeners that I'm a little biased. <laughs> if you <laughs> listen to our interview with Wolfgang Simpson just a, a few uh, you know, weeks ago, which is a beautiful conversation for me, someone who has been influential in my life and has in part you know, laid some of the groundwork for me to pursue intimate, deep discipleship as found in a home church setting. So that is the background that I'm coming with, but I'm really hopeful that we can have this conversation in a way that we still speak in a way that's edifying and glorifying to the Lord. That's real, but also, um, man, I think one of the biggest things I've really been thinking about, Nick, 
is all these amazing men and women that I served mm-hmm. with in the larger church setting. And one of the things that, cause there was some pain, you know, I think a lot of people walk away with pain from different church settings of all sizes. And for a season, you can kind of get into your head that there was some individual with like, I don't know, like, you know, maniacal mustache, they're twirling, man, you know, I'm going to do these terrible things. Uh, and that's not, that's not the case. Um, almost, Usually. In, almost in everyone. Yeah, you, yeah, it's rarely <laughs> the case. It's rarely the yes. case. Right? I, I really do think a vast majority of the time, a vast majority of the time, you know, we're seeing leaders who are deeply desiring to honor God. And maybe they come to a different conclusion than I do on how to do that. Um, but I want to make sure we, we demonstrate the humility to acknowledge that, hey, maybe we're wrong and the Lord doesn't operate in a box. So I think that's yeah. a good context for a conversation tonight. Although I do, I will, I think it's helpful to also throw a caveat out there mm-hmm. that it's wise to be aware when there are red flags that, um, in, and it's more common in larger churches that you, you yeah. get a narcissistic personality who maybe starts with good motivations or maybe doesn't even start with good motivations, but ends up, it, it basically becomes a, an egotistical show of mm. let's see all the glory that I can accumulate for myself by putting Jesus name on this as a mascot. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think we need to be aware of that as we look at the mm-hmm. mega church movement, because we can't turn a blind eye to the many scandals and, and cases of, yeah. of issues that have plagued the mega church movement. Um, but we also should assume the best if, if we can assume the best yeah. of, of pastors and ministry leaders. Um, and just people in general, right? We should assume the best until we're given reason not to. Um, yeah. Amen. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Good. So when I was in college, I so I'm a worship pastor now. It's my full-time job. And my very first ministry opportunity um, to, to work in a church was a small Presbyterian church near my college. And they hired me to be the college ministry worship leader. Um, it was like a 10-hour-a-week gig. And oh, man. Eventually, yeah, and it was a small little upstart ministry. Some weeks we would have no people at all, and we would just bring the food that we bought for dinner and bring it to campus and (laughs) give food to people and invite them to come next week. Um, Other weeks we'd have 10, 12 people. Um, And it was a a cool opportunity, and eventually... um, it was just me and a, a minister that would that would lead the group. Um, eventually, she stepped down, and I took her role. And so I was kind of doing both because the group was not growing, and so only one person was really needed to staff the whole thing. <laughs> um, and I just remember having these like conversations with with some of the regulars and talking about like just how great would it be if we just prayed on our on our knees and on our faces that god would send us a hundred people next week and i remember like Mm. just having this vision of like what if we went from 10 to 100 and just believing that like that would be success that would mean we've Mm -hmm. made it Mm -hmm. um and just Mm -hmm. having this this desire in my heart and feeling like this is such a holy thing and i'm I know that it's not possible on my own. I'm putting all my faith in God that he's going to give us a hundred people. Right. And he never gave us a hundred people. But the question I I ask while looking back on it is why wasn't I spending that time and energy pouring into the people that were in front of me? Why was I talking to them about let's pray for a hundred people to show up instead of talking to them about, Hey, how's God moving in your life right now? You know, having those conversations about, about discipleship here and now with the people in front of me, we were talking about, what if God brings a hundred next week? Um, so yeah. my question for you is why, where do you think this kind of assumption and desire comes from? Um, and 
how is it forming us? Yeah, well, let me make my first bold claim of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that it is very possible as we are followers of Jesus to be both holy and immature. Mm. Um, and so I, I really don't doubt that as you and others were, were kneeling and praying and desiring that the Lord would send, you know, a hundred people that I really don't think your hearts were filled with sin and pride. I mean, it's possible, but probably, probably just the same mixture of sin and pride we're all struggling with. And I think, I think your father in heaven was looking down on you and smiling. This is what I think. This is Phil's perspective Uh, (laughs) and just wisely not doing it. Uh, Yeah. Right. And, and that's, I think this is actually key because, um, when we believe that leaders in a larger church who are really pursuing that large church model, when we believe that they're corrupt or that they're unholy or that their motives are wrong, we demonize our brothers and sisters very often and we've glorified Satan and not God. Um, but if we can pause and see that these two, two things can be true and they are true in my life. I just want this noted. I, I have areas in my life right now. I can tell you that I really believe that my, to the best of my ability here on this earth, my motives are pure and holy before God. And I am deeply immature and I'm just coming to the wrong conclusions because of my <laughs> own immaturity. Um, and immaturity is not a sin problem. It's just a time problem. You just need time yeah. with the Lord. And and there's ways to grow in maturity and wisdom. We can talk about that um, primarily through community, um, which we'll, I'm sure will come up in our conversation tonight. But at the end of the day, you know, I have we talk about our kids all the time. When my kids do something that's incredibly foolish, just because they don't know better. When I'm in, when I'm operating as a good dad, it doesn't make me mad. It doesn't make me. I don't look yeah, at them right. and say like your motivations are wrong. I just think to myself, that's a problem, and we need to resolve that. We need to clean that up now, or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. And, um, but I, but I still look at my kid with fondness and with love, and mm-hmm. um, and so I, I really do think that that is at the heart of early. You know, you, you, a lot of people new to following Jesus identify this growth perspective as what is glorifying and holy to God and they pursue that, I think oftentimes we have a maturity problem though in the church. And the maturity problem, I believe, is when you can't look at Jesus's ministry and say, I want that ministry. Right when for Jesus it seemed that a dozen men and you know a few dozen uh, followers, it seemed that that was good enough for fruitful, genuinely biblical, loving ministry. Um, and when we see ourselves as that's not good enough. Uh, that's a demonstration of failure of ministry. That's a demonstration of unhealthy ministry. That's a dem- whatever it is. Um, then I think I think we have a problem there. And part of that comes from the, the same issue that we all 
run into in some areas of our life. You, you've probably experienced this at some point, Nick. You, man, <laughs> this comes out in my conversations with my wife sometimes for me and her, you know, like you just, you've been holding down on one viewpoint for so long that changing your, your viewpoint, you know, like it's really hard, you know, cause you're not just admitting that you were wrong that day, but you were wrong for the last decade. Absolutely. And I think we see that, you know, when you, you, you're somebody who's been, you spent five years growing in church, growing in church, growing in church, 10 years, growing in church, growing in church, growing in church to come to a point where you stop and you say, you pull a Francis Chan. Really, uh, if you remember back yeah. in the day, he, he's one of the only big name pastors I know that, that's done this. There might be others where he he's, he was pursuing this, pursuing this, pursuing this kind of vision of, of church ministry. If, for those of you who aren't familiar, in Simi Valley in California, I believe, um, he had like a 10,000 person church. And then he became convicted that that wasn't the way church should be. And I think a lot of pastors go through this actually at some point. And most pastors resolve it by diving deeply into small group ministry. We're just going to be, I've heard this so many times, we're going to be a, a bunch of little churches that come together as one big church, right? So you, right. you, you hire a, a, a small group pastor, you, you tell your congregants every week they need to be in small groups, you create every opportunity for small, you call them life groups or community groups or whatever groups, you just want to call them, they all do the same thing. And... Um, you then start telling yourself the story, which I think sometimes is true, but usually isn't, that this is the type of church you are. You're small churches that come together in a big church. The problem is your money and your time isn't actually associated mm -hmm. with that. And so therefore your heart isn't, where your treasure is, your heart is going to be. And so because you're not dumping uh, 51 plus percent of your finances into helping these, these smaller groups go and give money to the poor or, you know, uh, right. you know, house the homeless or, or clothe the, the needy, because you're not actually dumping 51% of your money into those types of things. You're inherently going to maintain your heart into the place where you just dropped a $45,000 sound system or whatever, right? Like that's ultimately where you're going to, you're going to be focused. And so it's just immaturity, right? It's, it's the inability to stop what isn't effectively, and, and this is probably the next thing we can talk about, stop what I personally, in my bias, would say is not effective ministry and change course and change direction, which is a really scary thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to think about what is our end goal. Is our end goal as many church members mm -hmm. or church visitors or new people or new converts as possible or is our end goal people that are like on fire for jesus following him actually living as a disciple of jesus living mm -hmm. like jesus um living by the the sermon on the mount as much as possible um and regardless of the quantity of those people the the quality of their their ability to follow jesus in community with the people in your church um mm -hmm which I, you know, kind of showing my hand, I think that second one yeah. is the vision sure. of the New Testament church, right? Sure. Um, and, and I do think we need to hold in balance that, right, you, you read Acts and Peter stands up and gives this post-Pentecost sermon and it says that 3,000 were added that day. and Three, right, you, in, one, in one, he made yeah, a mega yeah. church on day one. That's what everyone used to say. When I was that's at, right, when I was that's right. Mega right. Church. And they were like, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. That's exactly yeah. how that 
folded, unfolded historically. Short, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Um, <laughs> no. You have crowds coming to Jesus yeah. on the mountain and, and being fed yeah. the, the bread and the fish, right? Um, yeah. But then t- again, like you mentioned, time and time again, Jesus withdraws either in isolation or he takes three of his disciples with him, or he just goes back to, to being with the 12 and his closest followers. Um, time and time again, he, he walks, a, he moves away from the crowd. Um, he'll bless mm-hmm. the crowd and say that they are like sheep without a shepherd and have compassion yeah. on them. And then he moves away from the crowd. And when they try to take him and crown him as king by force, he refuses that offer. Right. Yeah. Um, time and time again, he moves away from it. And, and I don't know that he's trying to teach us a lesson of the corrupting ability of the crowd or, or not. He very well, may, yeah. very well may be, yeah. but he clearly has different, different goals and a different agenda than, than we seem mm-hmm. to have in, in building our ministries. He's, he's focused yeah. on the people in front of him. And we are often focused on the people that aren't yet in front of us because we know that if God brings them to us, then our ministry will be a success. Um, yeah. And it's just the stream of, of success and influence and, Sometimes it even comes down to a desire for power. The more people I can have influence over, even even with good intentions, um, it can be a des- this desire for I get to shape mm-hmm. more people's lives. Um, and we even have to battle that on this podcast is our desire for yeah. more listeners because we really want to help people ask, how is sure. this forming me to be like Jesus? Or is it because we want our voices in more people's ears? Right. And these are questions yeah. we have to constantly be asking ourselves. I, oh, and, and this is where it's, it's actually really nuanced. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, when I was a new believer and I was attending a mega church, I, I felt that new numbers, numerical people coming down and, you know, 300 people gave their life to the Lord on Christmas Eve kind of stuff. I, I just really felt so excited by that. And, and I think then I seesawed and I, and I saw all that as fake and disingenuine and, and then I said, no, it's all about like depth of spiritual growth and community intimacy. And I think now I'm going to sound like a very old man. <laughs> I think it's just nuanced. And yeah. I think I'm more inclined to shy away from making judgment calls. It, and, and so here, I mean, here's a basic question. Has God ever used a large church model to further his kingdom? Yes. Yes, he has. Of course. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I am a result of that. (laughs) You know, I think there's humility I have to bring to this conversation because I've had years of my life where, you know, maybe I was bitter at this and I'm I'm like biting the hand that fed me. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm not honoring the work of those who have, you know, Paul says that some people, you know, plant some people water was it paul or is it jesus um and scripture says that's a good way to get around that <laughs> scripture says this, <laughs> that somebody plants somebody waters but it's god who brings the harvest and so mm. has god ever called and equipped i i'm convinced the answer is yes um mm-hmm. i don't like that answer i don't like that church model i don't like the some of the downsides which i'll talk about in a moment but the answer is yes and so my you know, is it possible that he never really called someone? He's just using those things? Sure. But I, I just think we have too many brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone before us, who've felt really convicted that there's just a whole lot of hubris I would have to bring and say, nope, God never did that. You know, right, right. He, he did. He has. Mm-hmm. 
the question I think the really important question, which let's go ahead and talk about now is, but today in 2023, you know, I, primarily, you know, in our Western church context, the way we're doing um, mega churches in a, in the midst of a very individualistic, isolating, lonely culture, right. I think brings some deep complications and it can yes. form us and shape us in some ways that I think are not healthy. And, and I think the primary way is the most obvious way. Um, mega churches do not need community. Right. Um, and that's really important. And that doesn't mean you can't find community. It doesn't mean you can't find close friends. It doesn't mean you can't find people who do life with you. Mm-hmm. It means that I'll, I'll use it ironically, a non-Christian author, James Clear. I don't know his spiritual condition, but he wrote the book Atomic Habits and he talks about, you, you don't f- kind of rise or fall to the the level of your habits, you rise or fall to the level of your systems, the environment you put yourself around. So he gives one example of like this hospital that wanted to get people who came to their cafe. He wanted, they wanted them to drink more water and buy less soda. And so they actually just maintained the soda machines where they were, but added some water to the soda machines, but then put more, you know, those like coolers that have water in them or whatever. They just put those all around near the registers and stuff. And people just bought way more water. This the environment drove the behavior. Yeah. And I think when we're dealing with people who are lonely and people who are uh, many of the people listening to this podcast are struggling with social anxiety, going and having available a mega church option precipitates loneliness hmm. and social anxiety because it provides you an easy avenue and an easy um uh, environment in which you can a- attend a service and right. hear worship. Me- you can hear worship music and not have to hear the people around you and nobody can hear you. Mm. You can um, listen to a teaching that's broad enough that it, and again, the Holy Spirit can do some things, but um, y- you know, outside of a miraculous work that, that teaching may not speak to you. It's not like you're hearing a teaching from a pastor who knows you and cares about you and a thought about you um, when they were creating a, a teaching. Right, so you're not getting this uh, discipleship from a known quantity, but but from somebody who's a gifted public speaker, uh, who's creating something that can appeal to as many people as possible. Which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just saying that is the reality. I've, I've, this is the environment I was actually trained to do ministry. I, this is how you're taught to teach, um, and you lean on the Holy Spirit. Right, that's the goal. Um, but but there's no practical environmental factors that drive relationship building. Um, in fact, most churches, uh, including the one I attended, the common area of the church building was not required to even physically walk through in order to get to the the the, the sanctuary, which the sanctuary is designed like an event venue. I know because many churches are the community's event venue. (laughs) And, um, so you, you don't even have to, you know, there's, there's opportunities to physically travel through the campus and, and travel out of the campus with no more human interaction than a greeter who really does want to be kind and say hi and welcome you. And perhaps one or two people around you who might try to make conversation and praise God for these people. 
But outside of that, you are not presented with. Now, again, I'm lean towards home church. So I'm just going to explain. There's These are two different ways of being formed. One is you're formed in a large group in which community is not required to be a part of this community. Uh, ironically, this community we've got. Um, and so therefore we can perpetuate a lot of the work that I believe the enemy is reaping in our society. It can almost go unaddressed. Mm-hmm. Or um, for the small group of people who come into the confines of my home to be a part of a church community, a relationship is going to happen whether they like it or not. You know what I mean? Like I, they're going to they're gonna sit next to one another at dinner I don't have a big table, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're probably literally going to bump shoulders and elbows yeah. and they're inadvertently going to trade phone numbers. They're going to, you know, when we're teaching that many people are going to share their ideas, maybe they don't feel comfortable doing that yet, but, but they're going to hear the ideas of in, in others, not just one teaching tends to lean more question answer. So it's the Holy spirit's working for sure. But, um, the Holy Spirit's working through conversation as Jesus taught, not through prepared speeches. I, I actually put almost no prep into teaching, and that's not me bragging. This is me saying I don't put prep into conversation usually, so I don't I don't need to prepare for teachings too much. Um, so so what I'm trying to say is, in a mega church environment, the if if nothing you know all, all things considered, even the average person will perpetuate the harmful societal um, kind of sicknesses. I, that's how I think of them. That's, that's spiritual sicknesses, um, not necessarily sicknesses in other ways, but the spiritual sicknesses of loneliness and uh, and not being known and not being seen and valued. That perpetuates um, generally in, in a vast majority, if, if not all, mega churches because right. that's what the environment leans, leans to. And... Just, I want to be kind and clear. If we had a mega church pastor on the call right now, they would say, that's why we got to get people into the small church, into small groups. That's why we got to get people into community groups, whatever they call them. Um, and they have to take that level of responsibility on their own. And Phil, that's the same thing about whether or not they're going to go to your home church, to which I would say, valid point. And right. that is, you know, I get that. I really do get that. Um, so I'm not trying to say that the home church is like the answer. You know, there's a good argument to be said that the gospel gets to people with social anxiety who'd be willing to go into a building and not be known, where um, maybe they wouldn't come into my home. And so I think that's a fair counter. The question becomes, which one creates disciples? Right. Yeah, I love and your I, example. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I think the, I think my rhetorical question is obvious. <laughs> yeah. so like at yeah. least, at least yeah. what I think the answer is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love I love the James Clear example of the putting more water in the cafeteria and people drink more water. Um, and I think I think that we have done a a really good job of shaping people's imagination of what the church is supposed to look like, just by yeah. simply the way that we have built mm-hmm. and constructed our churches and our liturgies mm-hmm. and our services. Um, so you may or may not have heard of, there was a viral clip recently of JD Greer, who's a mega church pastor, um, just kind of railing against his congregants that show up late to service or leave immediately after church or even duck out a couple, like during the the last song. Um, 
And his reasoning was potentially good reasoning that when you do that, you're not fully participating in church. You're coming mm-hmm. and you're treating it as a show. And mm-hmm. so you're not getting to have that kind of conversation in the courtyard before sure. or after or in the lobby, right? Um, yeah, he's got a valid but what point. he said is, but what he said is, you are the problem. Mm-hmm. And the people not drinking the water in a cafeteria with no water available are not the problem, right? The mm-hmm. lack of water available is the problem. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you're saying. and so while, while yes, ideally people should come early, stay late, be a part of connection, community, life groups, whatever you want to call them, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. But if, if the primary way that you construct your church and talk about your church is as a, a, a performance, an event, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens one time a week, then you don't get to rail against the people who aren't drinking the water that you don't provide for them. Um, I, I'm going to so push I think, back just a little bit, just a little yeah. bit because I, I, I don't, so I agree, but I think there's some nuance there and we'll go back to the water example. The water was always in the cafeteria. It just wasn't as prevalent. So right. people were still making the choice they could have gone out of the way and get water. And I think that's actually true here too. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't see the clip, so I, I'm speaking about this with a little ignorance. I would say to JD Greer, the people are the problem, but you are too. And you're not choosing to lead into the solution. Yeah. And, and, and so I think, to, yeah, no, go for it. For me to say, you are treating this as a performance as he's standing on a, maybe million dollar stage mm-hmm. with lights yeah. and iMag yeah, and it, there's iron 4k. There. Yeah. yeah. You are treating yeah. this as a performance and like there's an audience around him and feed your seating. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah. to say, but you, you are the at, problem and you yeah, are treating you it this way. You the audience and you could say you wanted this. That's and true think, too. I think that's where I'm just, I want to just say that there, and I really mean this with love there are people culpable on both parts. We see this with every leader in political realm, the spiritual realm, the business realm. You know, people get mad at Jeff Bezos. You shopped on Amazon. Right. Like, you did that. <laughs> like, you know? Right. And I, me too. Right. Like, I, you know. Yeah. And again, we could talk about all, but at the there is a level of culpability, you know. And so the question becomes, and this is a big question to the listener, the leaders and Anybody listening right now who may not, what do you really want from church? Yeah, that's a good good question. And and do you realize, and this is a question I've had, I've had to ask myself, and it's really a tough question. Do you realize what you choose will change the type of citizen of the kingdom of heaven you are? You are. Hmm. And I, I don't think it's a usually a sin or not sin issue. And I really want to be clear about that because what I'm not, I am not indicating in any way, shape or form that someone, if you attend a mega church, that is not a sin that was put on the cross with Jesus. Like that's not what we're talking about. I just don't, I, I question, are you becoming a person who lives in a way that would remind people that there is a kingdom that is coming and in, in you should be here already. Mm. And for me personally, just Phil, I can only speak to, to me. I have noticed that when I dove into deep, intimate, personal community, I saw that kingdom come out vibrantly. Right. 
um, in a way that it was not being brought out. And I think there's a huge question to be asked, and I, and I, I have a clear opinion, which is, well, is this environment of the megachurch suppressing some of those natural kingdom tendencies? And I would say right. unintentionally it is. Not yeah. intentionally. You know, I right. think those pastors are, are praying in their knees, asking for these, you know, but but they're not doing the things that would create that. And some of those things would be like a majority of your money does not go towards event prep and mm-hmm. sound gear and bigger buildings. A majority of your money goes into the pocketbooks and the bank accounts of the least and the poorest in your community. Absolutely. But but you can't do that when you have an AC bill that's four yeah. times my mortgage. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. Like I'm not even being ridiculous. Yeah. Like literally yeah. your AC bill could get people out of debt and, and, and paying off a mortgage is the number one way to, uh, to, you know, build wealth in America. And then if you were creating people who, you know, had that, that ability to financially be freed up to take care of it, you know, you're going to go this. Like if yeah. you could create a level of, financial stability for the believers in your community, bring people up out of poverty. They could, and doing it in the right way, prayerfully, their hearts would be turned to bring others out of poverty for the good yeah. and the glory of God and the kingdom to come. Yeah. You can't do that when you have, you know, 20 plus thousand dollars <laughs> of monthly expenses. And, and some mega churches do have 20 plus thousand dollars. And like, and that's not a ridiculous number. Um, and I, and I think that's the question, right? Like, how are you being formed and shaped by this? It's not a sin issue, right. usually, but it's a wisdom issue. Right. You know? Yeah. And what I, do you want from yeah, church? Yeah, I think, I think this isn't necessarily an either or either. I mm-hmm. think there are also a lot of mega churches that have done a lot of good. And we've we've seen sure. um, situations where they're able to, to take, you know, a hundred people in the community and just pay off all their medical debt and, and stories like yeah. that, that are, that are powerful and, and have yeah. happened um, because of large numbers and large amount of people that are, are committed to, to working towards yeah. Jesus, the justice that Jesus cares about. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, how much, how much are we valuing that versus valuing mm-hmm. event planning? Like you said, um, my church is is a, a unique situation because we would probably be a larger church than we are, but we have a very small amount of land, and so we're basically maxed out. Um, yeah. And so we're kind of um, God almost has this boundary around us, not becoming a mega church. Um, yeah. But but it's interesting. We we have three services, and our service that offers Sunday school for for elementary aged kids is packed to the brim and feels like mm-hmm. a, a large full experience. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got two other services that don't offer childcare to all ages, and those two services are lighter. And it's it's funny to as as the worship pastor, I'm in all three services every single Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's funny that each service has a totally different kind of personality to it. That the group mm-hmm. kind of develops a personality. Um, and it's interesting how in the smaller services, there's a lot more um, kind of like calling out people in the congregation by n- not calling out like rebuking, but calling out like, mm-hmm. you like that joke? Or, or I was just talking yeah. to, to so-and-so this week about this, you know, that kind of thing where when it's yeah. when there's 80 people in the room or 120 people in the room versus 300 people yeah. in the room, there's a, there's a different kind of more familial um, vibe to, to the experience. Um, yeah. And I think that's valuable, and it's something that that is is missing when you're in 
a 10,000 seat auditorium where you're just never going to get the, you're never going to hear your name from the stage. And there's something to be said for that, like being known and knowing like the senior pastor knows my name, cares about me and is referencing the conversation we had in the courtyard before this in his sermon. Like there's something to be said for that. And not that that can't happen in medium size or larger churches. It can happen in our middle service that offers Sunday school as well. Um, But there's a different personality to a smaller church, no doubt about it, where it's more of a a family. You feel like you're known. You feel like you're in relationship. You feel you feel connected um, to to a group of people versus just coming in, knowing where you sit, having the experience and then leaving. And there's probably churches in our community. I know there's one in ours that, um, you know, isn't a home church. You know, I think aims for like 75 to 100 people, but they intentionally break off when they hit like a number. It's around 100 people. And they intentionally break off and start new churches for that purpose, right? So they yeah. they would be a larger church than my model that that I personally uh, lead, but um, still that same idea, right? It's a well known. Now I do want you mentioned one thing, and it's been on. I wanted to bring it up in our uh, podcast tonight, which is one of the other ways that we're formed by. It's the mega church model, but there's there's a little bit. It's maybe a little bit broader, not just mega churches, and it's. I'm going to bring it up because it's the number one reason that led me and my wife to starting a home church. In larger churches, there is the desire to segregate the congregation. Now, that's a really loaded word, and I'm not using that in its historical context. What I mean is, and it's a very liter- like like dictionary context to to take the congregation and to break it up into groups that are as homogeneous as possible. Um, you know, this is your singles ministry. This is your adults ministry. This is, right. And and I I actually think the most prominent place for that is children's ministry. There's the idea that removing children from the primary uh, service. Is and I know this is this could be really controversial, but just I'm getting it's I've got the mic, so I'm getting my thoughts out. Um, <laughs> like, like a mega church I, pastor, like a like a mega church. <laughs> I'm just gonna use and abuse the influence on that. No, uh, yeah. what I mean is 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 I there is no biblical precedent for children's ministry. There's none. Um, there's no verse you could point to. Any verse that you would point to that say, yeah, but but raising children up in this way, yeah, in community, uh, like you know who does that raising the adults in the community to, together, you know, because Jesus said, don't you dare not bring them to me. They're not a burden to this community. They're not annoying me. They're not bugging me. They're not interrupting me. I want them here. To which we say, yeah, but they're loud and I need to focus. And you know, you know how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit can't do his job. If a baby's <laughs> right? And, you know, as if this sound that God created and is nowhere indicated in the Bible as a result of the fall, the crying of a child, as if that sound is problematic. Or, or as if a child's limited cognitive ability is a handicap on the teaching of the service and therefore needs to be removed so they can be taught in a way that's good for them. This this culture has driven terrible theology and doctrine in children. So I'm just going to, I'm going to be silly, but, but this is actually really crucial. Who on earth 
decided that Noah's Ark was a kid's story. <laughs> right? It's a fair like point. At some point, somebody had to say, hey, do you remember the first major act of deconstruction in which God essentially eliminated every person on the planet? You know that story? Let's teach it to children. Whoever decided that Samson, because he sounded like a superhero, was right. a, the guy's a terrible, yeah, narcissistic, no sex-crazed man that that is held up to us as a way to demonstrate the depravity of the Jewish. What I'm saying is, as we began to segregate, we began to change the way we taught. As the way we changed the way we taught, we actually inadvertently changed scripture and the meaning of scripture. And we negatively affected a whole generation of believers. And that is a result, in large part, of saying we need to separate the body out. And I, I genuinely think it is an act of deep, deep foolishness. And it was one of the things that like really began getting me thinking and getting me processing and getting me wondering, like, this doesn't seem right. Why is this the model of church that's resulted in this? So I know it may sound odd to everyone, uh, but of all the things that have drove, driven me to a smaller church model, <laughs> it was my kids more than anything. I mean, I, I think parents can understand that you, when you have children, you start questioning things like, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing? And we were trying to do childcare. We really were with, with my oldest and it wasn't clicking and it wasn't clicking and a mentor of mine just, uh, she was at the church at the time and she, she saw what we were struggling and she was like, just bring him into service. <laughs> I just, just bring him in. He's fine. And we're like, can we do that? Are we going to hell now? Are we going to get kicked <laughs> out of the church? You know what I mean? And yeah, we just started bringing our kids and, uh, we did, we did some crazy things, Nick. Uh, we taught our kids respect. Um, we talked to our kids after church to process through what they learned. Um, we, we taught them how to sit still without an iPad, um, real drastic things, um, that we navigated through and I'm being a little facetious, but what I'm trying to say is that's another one of the ways in which we really got to think about how we're forming our families and the people. If we think the best idea is how, how do you, how do you minister to young adults? You know what you don't do? You shove a bunch of 20 somethings in a room together. And you tell them, let's learn the word together with only one mentor. It's like the dumbest thing. You know what you do? You take a bunch of these 20-somethings and you put them in a room with a bunch of 30, 40s, 50s, 60-somethings. Some of them with kids that are annoying. Some of them with, you know, uh, just, just, I don't know, whatever they got. You know, like just the whole, <laughs> you, you know, you, you put the body of Christ together. Yeah. And you watch mentorships form, you watch relationships form. You know, one of my closest friends uh, and mentors is, is, is a woman who, you know, is, is more mature than me in age and wisdom and has become an amazing individual for me and my wife to lean into. And we have no business being friends. <laughs> you know, like, we're none. It's crazy. The idea of make disciples of all nations that we lean into from a mega church model, the crazy part of all nations means that you pull from people from different backgrounds and different experiences and different everything, and they come together to be disciples of the same Jesus. And right. then we think the best idea is to break them back out into nations. And like, that's no, like the opposite. 
we, we lean into the unification of the body and we work through the difficulties, we don't segregate, which is very much what we're doing. Yeah, for okay. sure. That's I, a I agree with, I, yeah, I agree with <laughs> a lot of what you just said. Um, <laughs> Nick's like, I, I'm holding back though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not all of it though. Um, <laughs> because fair. I think there, there is validity just, just as there's validity in knowing that somebody knows your name or knowing that there's community mm-hmm. or relationship. I think there's validity in twenties or thirty somethings being able to go to a place where they know, like you're going to hear the word of God taught to you and not to 60 year olds and you just have to pick up what makes sense to you. Right. Um, like being able to go to a place where, you know, like they are thinking about and, and prioritizing, um, people who are going through what I am going through, people who have the Mm -hmm. lived experiences that I'm living through. Um, and so with children, that's even more true because like, there are things that we talk about in our church services that are just as inappropriate as, talking about the full Noah story or the full Samson story um, Mm -hmm. that that you may or may not want your kids to do. And there are times when they're going to go into children's ministry and they're not just going to hear the story. They're going to get to do the, the Bible craft or they're going to get to see it in with puppets or something that, that connects with them in a way that watching somebody talk or sitting with adults is not going to do. And there's nothing that stops a parent from having conversations about what you learned in children's ministry. You you can still Mm. talk about the Bible story they learned that day, whether or not you sat in children's ministry with them or whether or not they sat in service Mm. with you. Um, Mm. So I don't think it's as, as harsh as your, (laughs) your saying, but I know it's a (laughs) soapbox for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel as strongly as you, but I do think I'm where I'm with you is I think churches need to think a lot more carefully about how are we separating what God intended to bring together. Um, and I think that is an area where you're absolutely right. We've taken it too far. Mm. Um, and one, one more, one more thing for children's ministry, I'll say I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so for our Christmas Eve, Easter, and we do a specialty service once a year where the whole church is together and it's wonderful. And it's amazing hearing the kids in the audience. Like, like you said, it's, Mm -hmm. it's amazing being all together, all ages. Um, but my kids are at an age where that's near impossible for them. And because I'm one of the people up on the stage, it is a nightmare for my wife having, having to contain the kids by herself. And, uh, and so yeah, but it's, that's, that's the show element. You know what I mean? Oh, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, but that's another blessing of children's ministry that, that, my wife who is who spends you know 80 hours with with yeah, wrangling children in the week gets to go and hear the word proclaimed and gets to sit still and not have to think about keeping her kid not that not mm. that she shouldn't you know rejoice in that but she gets to rejoice in it all week long and she deserves a break right um she she deserves to get to sit and listen to to teaching and to be with adults for for mm. a couple hours a week we should bring um, our so wives i think there's to talk about this they're wiser than yeah us. right they might have they might have, better, they might have better things to say i don't know for uh, sure <laughs> um but all that to say i think you're i think you're the questions you're raising are incredibly valuable yeah. and we should be questioning the things, like we said at the beginning, we should be questioning the things we just assume are how you do church. You know, there was probably a sweet spot like 50 years yeah. ago. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure other church traditions do this, but I just know a Baptist church in our community. At one point, they had a service and everyone went to the service, kids too. And then everyone went to Bible studies. Right. You know, that seemed like right. that was probably <laughs> a good idea. Do you ever yeah. like wonder about things or like you look back and you're like, oh, 
no, we were doing it right. Why did we try to be innovative? <laughs> <laughs> Screw this up. Uh, no, I do, I do think there's some value. Um, you haven't convinced me, but maybe. Yeah, that's okay. Hey, let us know if we need to do an episode on how does children's ministry form us. <laughs> uh, put yeah. it in the comments or send us an email. Maybe we'll. Um, Interview some kids. Oh, we should. Kids are so <laughs> Okay, look, I'm just going to just uh, this. We're over time, but I don't care. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. Um, we, uh, so, you know, because, you know, home church, right? In my living room, all around. Dude, the best questions, the best questions come from my eight-year-old Luke. The yeah. best questions. Yeah. Okay, so we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. This kid has picked up that, ev- so he's highlighted the fact that in, in the teachings of Jesus pre, you know, before the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount and then into the Sermon on the Mount, he keeps bringing up right, like uh, the direction, right, right hand, right right foot, right, whatever it is. Hmm. He just keeps bringing it up, keeps bringing it up. And he is like, every time now, it brings, he just like waves a hand. And uh, but he also asks like really thoughtful questions and really deep yeah. questions. And um, any one of my kids, you can talk to about communion now. And, they, and it's just really cool. Like, so as most things, I think um, really want to be clear to be yes. Anding. So yeah. uh, I don't think you're sending if you're taking your kids to childcare, but I would say that um, that is not, and your childcare worker will tell you this, that is not, an adequate amount of reading scripture, being in scripture, right. arts and crafts do not necessarily make you closer to Jesus. They need uh. intimate time with their parents, reading the Bible, um, singing hymns, and learning about Jesus in the context of the family unit. Um, yeah, and we should probably talk more about that at a time to come. Okay, let's 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 wrap up with this, Nick. What's one? one takeaway or one thing we didn't get a chance to say tonight that you're like, we've got to say this in this conversation or I've got to repeat it and like highlight this. Yes. Um, the early church, the descriptions and what we have in the new Testament, the large majority of it is so much less institutional than we assume. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. the large majority of the descriptions are just like people getting together for what we would call hanging out and having dinner. Right. And yeah. they happen to have Jesus in common. So they talk about the scriptures and they, they worship together and they break bread and share communion as literally eating a meal together. Um, and so I, I think that what that doesn't mean is there's no place for institutional religion because that, mm-hmm. that's also in the New Testament. Um, but what it does mean yep. is if, if you're just going to church once a week, but never breaking bread with the people that you're sitting in church with, um, you're probably missing the full abundant life that Jesus has called us to. Um, mm-hmm. Spending time with with our fellow believers, fellowship is the name of the game. I'll just double down on that. Um, <laughs> I, I really do think that smaller biblical communities are naturally going to make us more like Jesus. It yeah. doesn't mean we can't become like Jesus in a larger biblical community. And if the Lord's called you to one, embrace it. Um, but mi- goodness gracious, please be in a smaller community. And in my a personal opinion, make sure that community is not based upon your age or your gender or your marital status or your status about kids or not. If you can, many churches op- uh, you know, offer 
location-based groups, you're in this neighborhood. Um, those are the best places to be with people who are uh, not like you, who are different than you, who are in a different stage of life than you. Um, and you're not going to lack fellowship just because you aren't around people who are like you. You're just going to experience actual biblical fellowship mm. because you're on people who aren't like you. That's yeah. the point in many ways. Yeah. That's the church. We're unified when the world would be divided. The world yeah. needs single ministries. The church needs only the body. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. I'm praying the conversation between Nick and myself was a blessing to you. And please forgive me if I got a little bit too sassy. Hey, conversations like this tend to bring up thoughts, questions, maybe even people you want us to interview. We would love to know more about your thoughts and what we can continue to grow in. Let us know in the comments or go to our website, livingyourdisciple.com and click contact us. While you're there, you can also find out ways to support us, specifically on Patreon. That's a great way to help financially support us to make sure this mission of asking the question, how are we formed by the things of life, continues on. Huge shout out to Anissa Live for all the amazing production work, to Eric Church for getting this podcast out into the world, and to Daniel Ramirez, who composes our beautiful music. Thank you so much for joining us on the Living Room Disciple podcast, where discipleship finds a home.